Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese. Every episode of this podcast will bring in a variety of experts to help all writers incorporate more authentic cops, crimes, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, bestseller William Miller steps into the interrogation room just to clear up a few things about his wildly popular Jake Noble series. A Florida native, he's so far managed to escape all the untimely and creative manners of death that so often visit his neighbors, and we'll pray that lasts another 30 minutes for the interview. Following 9-11, William left a photography career to join the U.S. Army. Since leaving military service, he's traveled the world and worked jobs from forklift operation to teaching English in China. William studied creative writing at Eckerd College and wrote four hard-boiled mysteries for Delight Games before he released his first Jake Noble novel. A member of the International Thriller Writers, he's set to serve on a discussion panel at its annual conference in July in New York. Without further ado, William, welcome to Writers on the Beat. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm super excited to uh, be talking to you. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Well, I, I'm very grateful for your flattery. That'll definitely get you some kinder questions, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Before before I do start pepping you too much with, with things that I, I want to know and lean on from your expertise and all the success that you've had as a as a writer and, and especially as an indie, uh, first, man, I, I really like the Jake Noble series. I really like what you've done with that. It's incredibly well-crafted books in a series that, to me, show a ton of deliberate thought and intent and, um, you know, for my money, rival a lot of the thriller legends like Vince Flynn and Robert Ludlum. Thank you so much. That, that is just super high praise coming from you. I thank you very much. Well, no, I, I really appreciate a well-crafted book and I'm, I'm, I'm about knee deep in, in one right now. And I, I'm very grateful for that. It's uh, as a reader, it's uh, it really makes all the difference, right? Uh, it does. And, you know, first and foremost, I, I'm a reader. I grew up reading. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that means the world to me. Uh, for readers who are unfamiliar with with you or your work, what do you want them to know about Jake Noble and in this series and the adventures you've sent him on? Um, you know, Jake is a Jake is a real guy. You know, I first and foremost, I want people to know that Jake is a real guy and not one particular individual, but a collection of people that I have known from the military, from the intelligence community, and I've, I've sort of formed them together. And I think that's why a lot of readers feel so strongly about Jake, mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, the, he, he's real to them. I actually had when the last uh, last hurricane that came through here, I had uh, I had readers emailing me to ask how Jake was, because, you know, he's out there on his boat. I'm like, is he okay? You know, and I did a blog post, you know, just, just an update. Jake's fine. His mom's fine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah, Jake is, Jake is a real guy, and I think that's why readers connect with him so strongly. Um, I didn't set out to write that Superman character, that James Bond who, mm -hmm. you know, James Bond's always going to make it through in the end, you know, and like his tuxedo isn't even wrinkled. Um, Jake is a real guy and, and he suffers some setbacks and he doesn't always make the right decisions. You know, he makes mistakes. Um, now, what, what inspired you to create Jake Noble and, and how much of William Miller is actually in him? Um, wow. So, um, the, I was actually, um, the, the reason why I first started writing this series was my experiences in China. 
and uh, this is actually I, I do an email to my to my email list, kind of telling them where Jake Noble came from, and and this is a story that I really was resident. Uh, pardon me, hesitant to tell for the longest time uh, because it was deeply personal. But when I, I was in China and I was I was teaching English over there, uh, at one point, it was my first semester, about halfway through the semester, one of my students disappeared, and I just couldn't figure out what had happened to her. And I was teaching college, um, you know, so she was a young lady, a bright young lady, really smart, good English, and, and she disappeared halfway through the semester, and I, and I could not figure out what had happened to her. Um, and there was a, a stone wall of silence, like the students weren't talking, I went to the administration, they weren't talking, I mean, they just acted like, who? Who are you talking about? <laughs> I've never, never even heard of that person, right? So I knew something weird was going on, but, um, you know, uh, eventually I, I let it go. And it, it sort of slipped from my mind, and, and then a couple of weeks later, I, I found this student, and she was uh, working as a prostitute there in China. Um, so, you know, human trafficking uh, oh, is God. a big deal. It yes. happens. It re it's, it's, you know, it, it's such a huge problem in other parts of the world, and, and, and as Americans, we're so sheltered from it. Um, and so this touched me personally. And when I got back from China, I just really wanted to shed some light on that on that issue. And that's where the, the book of Nobleman came from. And I go a little bit further into detail in that story, like I said in one of my uh, emails to my to my reader groups. I won't bore you with all the details right now, but um, you know, it was a really sad situation where this girl's just you know she's doing what she had to do to make a living there to survive in in China, um, and and she was being punished, for, <laughs> you know. Um, yes. for it um, and so I, I stepped in and tried to help out a little bit and, and I hope I did uh, we kept in contact for a little while and um, she's you know last I heard she's doing pretty good well that's a, a fantastic uh, turn of events because you know my own um, training experience around uh, sex trafficking and human trafficking um, at least here in the US right is uh, almost never that kind of shining story, you know. Um, oh man, yeah, it, it does not turn out well most of the time. No, and it's um, you know there are so many different factors that that play into uh, women, especially girls, getting roped into uh, what's anecdotally called the life here, and it's always tragic, um, and it's always violent, and the world that that they live in and their reality is so horrific that people at first don't believe it's real and they don't believe it's happening on the streets of America and that a lot of the missing kids in, in the U.S. are somewhere on a circuit being pushed by a pimp yep. and forced to do Absolutely. horrific things every day um, right underneath our yes. noses. It is, um, you know, it is real. And if you don't believe me, you know, if you think I'm making this up, look up Veterans for Child Rescue. It's uh, run by a, a former Navy SEAL, Craig uh, Sawyer. 
and um, they they actually go out there and they bust child traffickers, and, and that's why I give a portion of the proceeds from Nobleman to these guys so that wow. you know they can so that they can do their work um, because it is real and it is horrific, and in, and you know like you said, people don't know it's happening, and when you tell them the extent to which it's happening, a lot of them are very reticent to believe it because they just think that yes. couldn't happen. Yeah, that can't happen in America. Yeah. Well, it can, and it does, and it is. Yep. Yeah, and you know the the magnitude of the problem is so severe um, that people you know people don't believe it. And you know, for in the U.S., for one pimp to run a small stable of girls, maybe five six girls, he's clearing about a million dollars in cash a year, um, and yep. You know, he's able to keep them very effectively imprisoned and entrapped in plain sight. Um, Absolutely. Horrible, yeah. horrible thing. And um, I didn't didn't realize um, you were involved with, with Veterans for, for Child Rescue. Um, one of the, uh, the books uh, I wrote called The Misery Merchant is about domestic minor sex trafficking here in the U.S. And proceeds okay. from that go to a few different organizations, a shared hope. And, oh, that's awesome. Um, Refuge for Women, and then um, Dream City Church in Phoenix, um, who they're all involved in different aspects of, of that domestically. Um, but for Veterans for Child Rescue to be able to go and rescue these girls, especially globally, where typically women have far fewer rights than they do here in the U.S. is an unbelievable and, and, and uh, you know, really heroic thing. Uh, yes, uh, you know what they do. Um, I, I, I'm going to admit something to you. I, I always feel a little bit. Sorry, William. If you can hear me, uh, you just cut out there. It looks like uh, your phone got muted. see if I can unmute you from this side. Nope, it's not letting me. Can Yep, you just you just uh, came back. Oh, um, I'm back. You can hear me now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, so, oh, sorry about that. Yeah, no worries. So the uh the last literally the last thing I heard was um, that you don't talk about this often, you don't admit this often, but, and then silence. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, with regard to veterans for child rescue and, you know, I don't admit this that often, but when I send them money, I, I very often feel guilty about it because I am here in comfort and luxury of my home. I'm in my bathroom. I'm writing stories. And then at the end of the month, I send them some money and they're out there doing the hard work. You know, they're, these guys are out there. They're putting their lives on the line. Hey, yeah. you know, these, these uh, pimps that run these prostitution rings, they are willing to kill to continue their business. And these guys are going out there every night doing fighting the good fight, you mm -hmm. know, putting themselves in, in harm's way. And I'm, you know, I'm back here collecting all the, the money from my books and, you know, sending some of it their way. Here you go. Um, so, I, so I do, I get those stabs of guilt. These guys are out there. They're really doing it. And I'm just writing about it. Um, but uh, it, it is, uh, I do feel honored that I can, I can 
help them to some degree. And I just, you know, it's, it's not much, but I hope it's something. Yes. Yeah. One of the guys that, that I used to work with, he retired um, from, from law enforcement a few years back, but he spent most of his career working uh, outlaw motorcycle gangs and some undercover work and buying dope and doing all that kind of stuff. And when he, uh, when he retired, he actually got sort of getting involved with this before that. But when he retired, you know, he uh, kind of distributed all of his stuff to all the guys. Like it was almost like we were a little bit worried about suicide, right? Like he's given away his private possessions. Like, you know, yeah. I've, I've got his old titanium knife plate that's in my vest now. Like, you know, um, and, yeah. uh, but he was, you know, he left, he last that I heard he was headed overseas and uh, he had been doing, uh, this type of rescue work in India. And so you know, awesome. he and guys like him were raiding these brothels with nothing but a billy club and a, a big sack of testicles to, to go in and rescue these girls from armed guys, you know? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And those guys, they're the real heroes. Yes. Uh, they yeah. are. They're the, they're the real life Jake Nobles. Yes. Uh, well, that, that took a, a tremendous tangent, and I think it answered my next question about what usually inspires your stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most of my stories are all uh, based in some some form of reality. Either I'm plucking them from the news or something that I picked up from a, from a source, uh, you know, like Noble Intent obviously deals with Julian Assange, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and uh, the second book deals a lot with the Mexican drug cartels and things like that. So yeah, I, I definitely pull inspiration from real life, either things that I've, you know, read in the newspaper or, you know, picked up in crosstalk between operators. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it all comes from someplace real. Now, in terms of your, your research, uh, what, what do you do about researching things that you don't have personal experience with? Do you get technical advisors? Do you, do you seek, uh, how do you seek out help when you need it? I have been very fortunate to have a series of, of technical advisors. Um, so what I haven't been able to experience in real life, I have been able to ask, you know, I've been able to go to the special forces community to a few, few guys that I know or to the intelligence community and, and pose questions to them. Um, I think the most uh, aggravating thing for those guys is that while I, you know, they'll give me really good advice and then I'll sort of, twist it for the sake of fiction <laughs> you yes. know it's like well yeah. i gotta make this interesting <laughs> you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so you know the, the story always comes first um and, and i don't always deal in realism but i try and inject it whenever and wherever i can um and yeah i've been very fortunate to have uh, you know friends in the communities who are willing to sort of open up because a lot of times those guys you know, they don't, they don't want to talk. They don't want to be interviewed. Um, it's not like, you know, with, with law enforcement, you can usually find a detective that's like, Hey, you know, listen, I want to write a murder mystery. Would you like to be interviewed? And they're like, yeah, sure. Um, but you know, with the special forces community, they're called silent professionals for a reason because most of the time they're not, they're not giving away their secrets and they don't want to talk to you. Um, when, you know, growing up, um, you know, from in my childhood, the Navy SEALs were largely a myth, right? It was, you know, is it real? Is it not real? Like, who are these guys? They don't exist. They do exist. Oh, absolutely. And then now... I remember it, those days. Yeah. yeah. And now it seems like, you know, I, there are probably at least 
If, if uh, given about 30 seconds, I could probably come up with a dozen seal books that are, you know, very, you know, very public and I'm probably touching, you know, 1% of them. Um, but, you know, even like with those guys writing about their experiences, there's still so much of that that gets held back and so much that's kept, you know, out of the public eye and off the pages. And I would expect with your conversations with, with those kind of technical advisors that there's still an awful lot that you're keeping off the pages to protect their OPSEC. You're right. <laughs> are, uh, are you still there, William? There you go, Gavin. You just came back in. I, I lost oh. your audio and you were, you were talking oh, about the, uh, I know. I apologize. The, uh, you were talking about uh, apologies to the audience. We're having some technical difficulties. Yes. You were talking about all of the Navy SEALs who yep. have written books, and uh, yep. it is. It's different. When I was a kid growing up, yeah, it was. Um, there was some question as to whether or not they even existed, and now they're all writing books. So it has yep. changed tremendously uh, over the course of just the last few years. Yeah, and I, I would expect even with, with your access to, you know, those kind of technical advisors in the spec ops community, that there's still a lot of information that, you know, they're willing to share with you that, that still doesn't even get to make it onto the page because, you know, there's still some responsibility, right, to protect from them to protect their OPSEC and also you to protect them, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, there are those instances where, you know, they'll tell me something. I'm like, oh, wow, that's, you know, that's incredible. You have that ability. Oh, yeah, yeah. But listen. Can't write about that, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, because we don't we don't want the bad guys to know that. I'm thinking, why did you just tell me? Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, uh, so yes, there has been, uh, and as a matter of fact, the book that I'm working on now, Noble Sanction, I'm dealing with uh, some things, and something made it into the book, and I, I can't even say what it is right now because I had to send it to. A guy who used to work for the CIA and say, "Hey, listen. So, you know, I, I came by this knowledge and I put it in the book. Is this okay? Am I going to be able to say this?" And he was like, "Well, we better run that fast. You know, so we're <laughs> waiting on clearance for that right now. Yeah. We're waiting to see if I might have to edit that. We'll see. Uh, but uh, yeah, there there is a there is um, I think an unspoken obligation of novelists to sort of protect." Uh, the people that we're writing about, because I would never want to divulge information that ends up getting an American soldier killed on the battlefield. Um, yeah, that'd be terrifying. No, that would that would be a nightmare. Yeah. Now, I in reading your your series, I really appreciate how you present you know real world chaos in in the stories. Um, Mike Tyson once said that you know everybody's got a plan until you hit them. And my old SWAT team leader um, used to like to remind us that no plan survives first contact. Um, what, what's the experience like for you when you're writing these scenes when everything is going to shit around Jake Noble and he's trying to, 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 to parry and banter all this? Uh, that is – the axiom is so true. No plan survives first contact with the enemy. And um, I, I think for me, one of the – you know, in the military, they do live fire exercises, and one of the, one of the most vivid experiences that I've ever had was that feeling of a bullet zipping past your head, and I, mm. I – you know – 
to distinctly remember that feeling that this object, this hunk of lead, goes flying past your head. And if it had just been a few inches in either direction, yes. your life would be over. Finito, done, right? Yeah. Um, that that is a real wake up call. You know that that feeling that you get, um, just smelling the smelling the gunpowder hanging in the air. Um, that's one of those things that I really try to hang on to as I write, um, and I, I try to inject that feeling so that the reader can taste that a little bit as they're as they're experiencing the story. Um, and and hopefully you know they'll take that with them and realize that this is something that the you know the men and women of of military and law enforcement face on a daily on a daily basis is that they, they just have to live with that stress uh, how did how did you go about becoming a writer and studying the craft and and becoming proficient enough to the point that that you're writing you know top notch thrillers um only uh, you know really a few books into this thing um well uh, first of all I, i've been writing for a long time i've been writing since high school i remember um when i was in high school i had this awesome idea for a book i mean this was going to be a surefire bestseller and i started writing it and i and i was so proud of it that i that i showed it to my to my english teacher there in high school and she said this is you're, you're really really good this is a great story idea and then she had to tell me um that you know she was really sorry to inform me that somebody else had already done this story and i needed to go check out a writer named robert ludlam and his book foreign <laughs> identity because i had started writing about a spy who had lost his memory right i was like this is golden this yes. is amazing. Yeah. You know, and uh, so she says, you know, you need to go check out Robert Ludlum's Born Identity. And I did, and I was just devastated. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this can't you do it. You know? uh, but then I was also I was encouraged because I realized this guy's, you know, like this guy's huge. You know, this guy's books are all over, you know, and, and he's a he's a major author. And if he did this and it really, really worked for him. And I had the same idea. Well, maybe I can, maybe I can do this as well. You know, maybe I can really do this. Um, so I've been writing since uh, high school. So I've got a lot of practice. Um, and I've been very fortunate to uh, just have those experiences. Um, really, when I got started, you know, uh, ebooks and self-publishing was not a thing. You know, you had to go the traditional route. And I went that way where I was, you know, publishing short stories and my short stories got me noticed a little bit. And then I was able to go to work for Delight Games, which does uh, choose your own adventure books, digital choose your own adventure books. And that was my, yeah, that was my first experience with self-publishing. Um, it wasn't me self-publishing. I was working for the company and they were, you know, publishing eBooks and it really got me kind of turning towards eBooks going, Hey, this is a thing, you know, people are, mm -hmm. people are doing this eBook thing. Um, and when I tried to publish Nobleman, I really ran into a bit of a problem, uh, because the, the traditional publishers and agents that I submitted it to said, this is a really, really great book. We like this. We want to publish it. The only problem is you've got all this sticky faith business in there and we don't like that. So mm -hmm. if you strip out all this religious nonsense, we'll publish this book. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I, I can't do that because, you know, that's, 
that's a core tenant of the book, right? And so instead, I took it to uh, some Christian publishers, and I said, do you want to publish this book? And they all really liked it, and they said, this is a great book. Only problem is you have all this nastiness about human trafficking and guns, and ugh, we don't want that. So if you get rid of that, we'll publish this book. Yeah, and um, and a couple of my friends said, you know, you just need to self-publish this um, because I, I wasn't willing to I wasn't willing to sacrifice the core integrity of the story for for either publisher, right? Um, so finally, I you know I said, you know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make a go of this, and I put it out, and um, the rest is is history, as they say. It was uh, it was pretty popular, so. Both of those, all of those publishers, they were all wrong. <laughs> the story was fine the yes. way it was. Yeah, well, you know, I think that that's you know, one of the one of the big, you know, misunderstandings that I had right before I I got uh, got a publisher and, and and had a book out, is that my my gross misconception was that if the book was good, you were going to get published, right? And right. that's not necessarily the case. And you know, if it doesn't fit into what a particular publisher is looking to buy this year or doesn't exactly fit their market or what they believe their, their risk tolerance will take. Um, you know, they, they take a hard pass on it and, you know, it's not at all an, an indication of the quality of the work, but you know, it's, uh, it's so much more complex than, than that. And my naivety almost, you know, derailed the whole thing in frustration. Right. Um, for for those authors who are listening in, if you're not published yet, or you're, you know you're writing that first book, um, don't don't be at all uh, you know sort of naive about what the publishing industry is. The traditional publishing industry, the the big five, as it were, it's basically like the fashion industry. You know, it has nothing to do with whether or not your book is good. And it has everything to do with what's in vogue right now, right? You know, for mm -hmm. so many of the big publishers, they publish things not because it's good or because it has some sort of redeeming value to society as a whole. They publish it because that's just kind of in vogue at the moment. I, I remember at one point it was like, you know, having an Indian author, um, Indian being, you know, Middle East, Indian or Middle Eastern authors were the big thing. And everybody was just angling to, uh, you know, sign that next Middle Eastern author with a book that was, you know, going to be the next Slumdog Millionaire or what have yes. you. And I yeah. joked with several of my writer friends that I should just change my name to make it sound Indian. And I, you know, I, I get a publishing contract. Um, <laughs> So it, 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 you know, it's we laugh because it's funny. We laugh because yeah. it's true, right? Yes. You know, it, it's very much the publishing industry is, uh, you know, it goes through fads, and if you don't mm -hmm. fit into that fad at the moment, you're just not going to get published. Um, doesn't mean your book isn't good. It just means that you're not in with the cool kids right now. Now that mm -hmm. might change, um, but you know, really. If you've got a good book, the market will tell, right? Readers yes. don't care who published that book. They don't care if Simon – readers don't even know who Simon Schuster is, right? Mm -hmm. they, they, right. If it's a good book, they're going to lay out their money for it, um, and that is your job as a writer, to tell a good story that people can read on the train to work in the morning. That's all people are looking for. Now, on uh, a related note, you also uh, – it's uh... – I think come up a little bit already, but you also have a, a nonfiction writing guide out. What what inspired and motivated you to 
to complete that project and put it out? Um, that is actually part of an ongoing project. Um, we, the reason I first wrote it is because I started getting emails from so many authors who were, you know, they were just a little bit behind me in the timeline, as it mm -hmm. were. You know, they were working on their first novel and they had discovered me and, you know, here I am, I'm self-published and I'm making a living as an author. So they're going, how, you know, how did you do this? Um, so I was getting hit daily with emails from authors wanting to know, you know, what is your process? And I thought, you know, I should just, um, I should put this in rather than having to, you know, spend two and a half hours doing emails every day. Mm -hmm. I decided I'm just going to write a book and here yes. it is. Yep. You know, if you want to know my process, here's the book. Um, <laughs> that, that's got everything in it. Uh, that way I can just steer people towards that. And uh, my website, literaryrebel.com has a lot of good writing advice that again was advice that I found myself giving over and over and over to authors and you know rather than have to write new emails every day it's just here's my website go look at that and that'll tell you what you need to know about you know outlining or, or what have you. Now aside from writing and countering human trafficking uh, what what else in your life are you passionate about what, what gets you out of bed in the morning and, and what would get most of your time and effort if you were suddenly flush with powerball money tomorrow um you know i i hate to sound like a geek like a workaholic dweeb but if i hit the powerball tomorrow morning i'd still get up and write um writing is what gets me out of bed in the morning but um i i do also you know i i, I you know love things like playing on my guitar i had uh had delusions of being a rock guitarist when I was young. So uh, in between writing chapters, I'm usually uh, I'm usually plinking on the guitar a little bit. My wife and I like to do indoor rock climbing and things like that. My wife is the biggest outdoors. You know, she's Jane of the Jungle, um, <laughs> and uh, she gets me. Yeah, she gets me out of the writing room because if not for her, that's where I would be. You know, yeah. uh, as a matter of fact, we just we spent a month in the, the mountains of Georgia. You know, we did everything from whitewater rafting to hiking and, and everything mm -hmm. in between. Um, so she makes sure that I stay a little bit uh, active and 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 healthy. <laughs> yeah, that's but. Um, that trip made you awfully hard to get a hold of when, uh, you know, we were seeking technical advice and expertise from on high. <laughs> yes, 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 it does. <laughs> it's a nice problem. But, uh, yeah. Disconnect. Yeah. Right. Um, no, but, I, uh, yeah, you know. See, I, I know you've done sorry. the – no, no, yeah, that's my bad. I, I know that um, – I know you've done, you know, podcast interviews before, um, which uh, makes me want to kind of lean on your expertise a little bit and maybe do my job for me. Uh, of all these that you've done, um, what do you wish somebody on my side of the microphone would ask or talk about or bring up and give you the chance to explain? Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. You know, I've never really thought about that. I'm, I'm usually, uh, because my writing is... Uh, always sort of centered around real world subjects and you know then that inevitably involves politics to some mm -hmm. degree i'm i'm always in my hypothetical imagination when i'm thinking about interviews i'm like well now how am i going to answer this question <laughs> yes. with those those political questions that are very very hard to answer 
Um, but yeah, I, I've never really thought about that. Um, if, if you give me a day or two, I'll probably come up with a really, really good uh, <laughs> answer to that. <laughs> Well, when, uh, <laughs> you know, when you finish with the, the, the Jake Noble work in progress right now, it was a, it was a Noble Sanction, right? Noble Sanction is going to yeah, be the next so, book, yeah. So when, when that one gets gets approved and gets released, we can have you back on the show, and I, I'll, I'll give you a chance to answer that one again. You have a, a perfect, poignant, and, you know, well-thought-out professor response. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> On the flight to Manhattan to uh, yes. the Thriller Fest, I'll probably come up with something really, really good. <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, that uh, you know, the the Thriller Fest uh, sort of panel, I'm I'm pretty nervous about it, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's yeah. I don't know if you've seen the billing for it, but it's going yeah. to talk it's about impressive. faith and spirituality. Mm-hmm. And when Jeff Jeff Wilson writes the Tier One series of thrillers. Uh, you know, former special forces guy. And when he first came to me and said, Hey, you know, listen, I'm, I'm putting together this panel for thriller fest and I want you to be on it. And I'm thinking that's never going to fly. They're never going to approve that, but sure, go ahead. <laughs> you know, I'll do that. If you can get it approved, I'll do it. And he comes back to me a few weeks later and he's like, well, we're in, you know, and I'm like, Oh, yeah. geez, now I'm going to have to go and talk about this in real life. Yeah. I didn't think it was ever going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I got to do a, a panel at um, at uh, a Comic Con event a few years ago, but it, it was you know much more you know um, much more germane to my my normal everyday writing life and in um, you know authenticity and in, in, in cop writing and thrillers. I didn't have to get up and discuss anything quite so personal and and, and profound. So I, I'm I am really looking forward to it actually. Well, I'm I'm glad you're looking forward to it because I'm I'm uh, you know kind of thinking like this is you know I'm really gonna have to lay it on the line a yeah. little bit here. I'm I'm imagining some of the questions are gonna be pretty tough, um, and then of course you're just you're gonna have so many different uh, points of view there that it's it's likely to get a little bit interesting. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how this plays out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be a uh, you know incredible opportunity for a bunch of strangers to become very vulnerable to each other, and uh, you know we can all sit in the safety tree together and hope nobody gets hurt. <laughs> <laughs> right. We'll we'll see if everybody's still friends afterwards. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who uh, do you have a, a favorite preferred crime show or a, a favorite fictional detective that you read? Oh, I, I do. Yes. Um, I, I should, well, I should say I have several. Um, first of all, Sherlock Holmes. Um, you know, I, I am a huge fan of, of Sherlock Holmes, and I, I keep meaning to put the uh, my first stop the first time I went to London was 221 Baker Street, um, <laughs> and I, I keep meaning I keep meaning to put the pictures on my on my website, never get around to it. So um, you know, I grew up reading those Sherlock Holmes uh, books, and and I just really really loved them. Um, but you know, since then I, I've really um, read across the genre and I love everything from detective fiction to spy fiction. Um, you know, Vince Flynn was one of my, one of my favorites. Uh, but I also really like the old hard boiled stuff like Mike Hammer, man, those Mike Hammer yes. books were awesome. Um, and I, and I really, uh, miss those days of hard boiled detectives. And, and I think that I try to bring a little bit of that, uh, sort of detective noir feeling, 
to the Jake Noble series. Um, I tried to make him sort of a, a little bit of a modern day Mike Hammer, as it were. Um, so yeah, Mike Hammer, one of my favorites. Um, of course, obviously, anybody who's, who's read my work will know that I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, Brad Thor, Vince Flynn, uh, Tom Clancy. Um, although it's, you know, don't don't worry, it's not the 800-page doorstop that a Tom yes. Clancy book was. You <laughs> 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 read through it significantly faster. Yes. Yeah, I think I had to start Red Storm Rising three times before I I got uh, got through it. Yeah, it was yeah, got all, was all the way through it. Yeah. Now, in 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 light of that uh, whole menagerie of characters from which you you now have to draw for the last question that I, I think you probably suspect at this point, but God forbid it should happen, William. But if you wake up tomorrow and find yourself murdered in the most Florida of manners, what? fictional investigator detective or revenge artist would you want on the case does does noble get the job or do you bring in somebody uh a little more sherlock holmesy um you know i i'm gonna i'm gonna first of all if, if i was murdered in that florida fashion it would be just really weird <laughs> because if you ever look at the florida news uh, you'll, you'll know what i'm talking about it'd be like yeah. man killed with an alligator or something <laughs> like that <laughs> so, uh, but uh you know if i was killed um i i would i would bring in my wife to investigate and and i'm going to tell you why um, a lot of people don't know this but my wife is autistic Wow, and she she comes at the problem. So she she likes she loves the murder mysteries like me. You know, we always watch we watch Bosch and we watch you know uh, Elementary and shows like that. And she always comes at the problem with such an open mind. You know, she, she's not looking at any sort of bias. Because she's autistic, she is looking at it with that open mind. She's just studying everything. I'll tell you a funny story. We were listening to a former CIA field officer talk, and he's uh, he's telling the audience about this uh, mission in this South American country where they were supposed to be meeting with this field agent from another country. And they're saying, you know, we're, we're following the guy around the city before we meet with him because we want to figure out who he is, what he's about. Is, is this a trap? Is he going to try and blow us up, shoot us up? Is he, you know, is he who he says he is, right? And, they, and he says, you know, as we're following him, this guy gets off the plane and, it's, and we're in South America. It's just hotter than anything, you know, and he's got this big parka on, he's sweating, and he's going into stores, and he's acting really irrational, and we can't figure out what's wrong with this guy, and, you know, he's asking the audience, like, what do you think might have been wrong with him, and my wife leans over to me, and she whispers, you know, he could have just, you know, he, he could be sick. He could have had the flu or something like that. And that's why he's, you know, acting really irrational. And I'm like, babe, that is not the answer. Don't guess that. Don't say that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know? <laughs> like, I'm not wanting her to embarrass herself. Right? I'm like, don't say that. Um, and a few minutes later, uh, the spy goes, well, it turns out, you know, we, we, went, we went ahead with the meeting because this guy had information that we really, really needed. So we decided we had to chance it. And so we went ahead with the meeting. And about two minutes into the meeting, this guy just 
barfs all over my shoes. Turns out he had the flu. He was desperately <laughs> trying to find some medicine in a country where he didn't speak the language. And my wife just turns and looks at me like, see, I told you. I told you. <laughs> um, That's so she is one of those people that just nothing is off the table, right? She yeah. just, you know, like a computer, she plugs theorems in until she finds the one that fits you know and like like sherlock holmes she just eliminates the impossible until she finds what's left um, so yeah i think if i got killed she'd be the perfect investigator <laughs> perfect well you know uh, that is the first time that uh, mrs miller has made it onto the investigators board for the show so you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh well you know it's it's funny um the you know, she she's so keen at picking out the killer in in yeah. movies and TV shows and things like that that I actually wrote a I wrote a novel on that sort of you know she's kind of the she's the main detective it's it's an autistic yeah. uh, detective I mean I haven't published it yet um, you know it's it's still in that in that um, incubatory period mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know maybe people will like it when it comes out we'll see. Yeah, no, that's really exciting and a really, uh, really original take. I, I think that there are um, are too few stories like that. I, I just recently interviewed a a, a new writer, uh, R.J. Jacobs, who's a mm -hmm. uh, psychiatrist or uh, sorry, psychologist out of Nashville who works predominantly with veterans. But he just released a novel um, that is about uh, a, a murder mystery, and the protagonist as a uh, bipolar disorder and uses that to her advantage to solve the crime. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I'll have to yeah. check that out. You know, I think there are, are, you know, too few stories about, um, you know, folks whose, you know, the minds work in alternative ways that, you know, have had previously in, you know, our, our lifetimes, a, a negative connotation that those really end up being benefits when they're looking and analyzing and things that the rest of us don't see. It, it really is. Um, and, you know, like I said, my wife is a perfect example of that. She just she finds connections that I would never find because I'm biased, because yes. I have that, you know, that neurotypical uh, outlook on life where I'm I'm, you know, looking at the particular subject through this lens and, and it says that this guy's you know comes from the wrong side of the tracks and he's a bad guy and you know she's, she's not affected by any of that right she, she yeah. just she she puts the clues together and and comes to a to a really you know unbiased opinion whatever that might be Wow, that's really fantastic. I, I'm really, really grateful that uh, that you made time to come on the show and, and share all this with us. This, you know, I, I only got to about half of my questions, but I, we talked about so much more than I ever expected to discuss today. Well, I, I'm uh, I'm certainly glad to be here, and uh, if you ever want to have me back on, you just let me know. No, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it when uh, when you you know you're. Uh, when your wife's murder mystery comes out and, and when uh, noble sanction comes out, we're definitely going to have to have you back on and uh, pick your brain a little bit more about how all the rest of us can do a little better at this. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to it. You've been listening to writers on the beat where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the authors on the air global radio network. Thanks to my guest, best-selling author and army veteran, William Miller for joining me today. I'm your host, Gavin Reese. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.